have your Bible, if you have it, and turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke 10. Larry's going to grab some Bibles. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, we've got some on the back table there. Larry's going to pick some up. If you need one, go ahead and put your hand up, and, uh, and he'll drop one for you. Uh, the app on the phone is, is a great option as well. So We're going to be in Luke chapter 10 this morning. Um, last week, we spent some time... Uh, talking about uh, a few verses out of this chapter, particularly uh, verses 25 through 29 in Luke chapter 10. For the month of August, what we want to do is we want to focus on the four characters that we see in, in Luke chapter 10, uh, verses, uh, verses 25 through 42. We want to focus on the four characters that Jesus either interacts with or tells a story about uh, to us. So he interacts first with a lawyer, um, and then coming out of that, he uh, he uh, he tells a story about a Samaritan, a, a, a parable that you're probably pretty familiar with. Even if you're not familiar with your, your Bible, you probably heard someone call someone else a good Samaritan at some point. Um, and so it comes particularly from this text. And then Jesus also interacts at the very end of this chapter, uh, interacts with uh, verses, or with, in verses 38 through 42, interacts with, with Mary and Martha. And, uh, and these sort of form this this big understanding of what's going on in, in Jesus' ministry in, in Luke chapter 10. And last week we talked about, in particular, that lawyer, and we talked about the two questions that the lawyer asked. If you look in verse 25, this is the first question the lawyer asks. He says, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Um, and then the second question he asks is in verse 29, and really gives us the lead up, lead in, into uh, this morning's text and the story of the Good Samaritan. The second question is simply this, who is my neighbor? Um, the first question that he asks, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life, is answered in verse 27 um, by the lawyer's own admission, right? The lawyer actually gives the answer to the question. Jesus says to him, what does the law say and how do you read it? And, and the, the, the lawyer actually says to him, um, being an expert in the law, this is no, no, uh, no surprise that he would say this, but he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Um, the, the passage that we were going to read together, that the technical difficulty prohibited us from, that, that Blaze actually read this morning um, for us, the first part of verse 27 comes directly from that text. Um, every devout Jew would recite this text a couple of times every day. And so they were incredibly familiar with it. So we see then that the lawyer's motivation is to, in verse 25, put Jesus to the test. And when he puts Jesus to the test, Jesus just turns the question on to him and says, well, how do you read it? And the lawyer answers correctly. In verse 28, um, Jesus responds to him and said, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And then we have this, this really interesting verse, verse 29. Um, and Luke gives us a glimpse into this guy's heart. This guy is, he, 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 Luke tells us that he is wishing to justify himself. He said, um, and who is my neighbor? So verse 27 gives us sort of the, the big picture, the thesis statement for what's going on in verses 25 through 42 in Luke chapter 10. And the thesis is simply this, to love God and love neighbor. That's what he's giving us. So the four characters that we're looking at in this text, in this big chunk of text for these four weeks, correspond then um, with these two ideas, right? 
So we have uh, the lawyer, um, which gives us a negative example of what it means to love neighbor. And then what we're going to talk about today, the Samaritan, this character that Jesus tells a story about, he gives us a, a positive example of what it means to love neighbor. And then when we get to next week, when we get to Mary, and then the following week, Martha, we'll see that Mary is the, the positive example of what it means to love God, and then we will see Martha as the negative example of what it means to love God. And so remember our, our big idea from last week. Remember this, and I, I hope that you see how these two ideas sort of um, interweave within each other, right? Remember our big idea last week was this. The lawyer's interaction with Jesus, the interaction that we just recounted, the lawyer's interaction with Jesus gives us an example of a selfish and exclusive posture that keeps us from loving our neighbor. Um, and the second question uh, that the lawyer asks, who is my neighbor, is answered then in this parable that we're going to read right now. So if you've got your Bible open, look at Luke chapter 10, and we'll start in verse 30 and we'll read through verse 37. <laughs> Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place, saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put, he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn, and they took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, This is the lawyer. And he said, the one who showed mercy towards him. Then Jesus said, go and do the same. As we look at this text, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you again this morning that we can come into your presence. God, that we can look at your word and see that divine revelation given to us. God, you are speaking something very direct to us this morning from this text. Lord God, and I pray as we study through it, Lord, that our minds would be free from distraction, that our hearts would be open to hear what you have to say to us. God, that we would learn to love you more as we understand more about your divine nature and who you are and who we are in light of that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So we read that chunk of text then, right? Verses 30 through 37 in Luke chapter 10. And we talked about the big idea from last week, right? The, the lawyer's interaction with Jesus gives us an example of a selfish and exclusive posture that, uh, that keeps us from loving our neighbor. And then, so, on the flip side, though, what we want to talk about is the big idea for this morning coming out of this text, particularly. The Samaritan in Jesus' parable gives us an example of a merciful and inclusive posture that teaches us about loving neighbor. A merciful and a inclusive posture that teaches us about loving neighbor. So really, we're just going to break that down. We're just going to talk about two things contained within that statement. We're going to talk about the mercy that is shown by the Samaritan. Then we're going to talk about the inclusion, um, the understanding of the way that um, Jesus is framing this for the lawyer, particularly dealing with his question from verse 29, and who is my neighbor? 
So let's talk about the mercy element first then this morning. So, so last week when we were talking about the lawyer, we said that the fundamental problem with the first question that the lawyer asked was that the subject of the question was I, and the verb was do, right? So when we came to the end last week and we talked about what it meant that the lawyer was, was asking these questions, we talked about the fact that the lawyer, his question is inherently self-centered. Right? It's a question that is focused on self first and foremost, and then it's also focused on activity rather than rest. And we talked about that the gospel is, is sort of the antithesis of this, right? That the gospel is, is resting in a finished work, not completed by you, but completed by Jesus Christ on the cross. And so we talked about that kind of as being the, 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 the thrust and the, the problem with that first, that first question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And so this ultimately what Jesus then says to him or is trying to communicate as we look at the parable of the Good Samaritan is that this is a posture or, or, or a positioning that is directly in opposition to a mindset of mercy. This is a posture or a positioning uh, that is directly in opposition to a mindset of mercy. We have to ask ourselves then, what, what is the biblical understanding of mercy? We see that, that the Samaritan is the one who shows mercy, by, again by the lawyer's admission, the one who showed mercy toward him, the man who fell among the robbers. And Jesus says then, go and do the same. So the biblical understanding for mercy for us is, is simply this. In terms of the receiver, the one, the recipient of the mercy is this. Not getting what is rightly deserved. Not getting what is rightly deserved, right? Um, for those of us, and this is everyone, everyone falls in this camp, for those of us who are in sin, right? For those of us who, who are in sin pre-Christ, we deserve the wrath of God and eternal separation for Him, right? Paul writes very clearly in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. That the wages of sin is death. It is a great mercy to us that we do not receive what is rightly owed to us in the wrath of God. That wage is withheld if we are in Christ. The wrath of God has been transferred from us to Jesus because of his atoning work on the cross. So in terms of the recipient, just this, not getting what is rightly deserved. Um, but in terms of the giver, then, dem demonstrating compassion uh, under no obligation. Demonstrating compassion under no obligation. Again, we see this portrayed, pictured perfectly in the gospel, right? When God looks at us and when he says, um, you deserve my wrath, but I'm going to provide a substitute for you so that you can look on him and I'm going to deter uh, what, what you rightly deserve and demonstrate compassion to you despite, my, uh, bestite, be, be, despite no obligation that I have myself to do so. So, as we then look at this text, right, there's a lot, there is a lot jam-packed in this parable. So, we just want to key in on a couple of things. I want to give you um, maybe a helpful hint. When we come to parables, when we come to Jesus' stories that he tells in the Gospels, a lot of times we think about them and we're like, I'm not really sure how that's going to correspond. Let me just give you like a really simple, a, a simple principle for uh, interpreting Interpreting parables. When you sit down and you read a parable, um, what should you be thinking about? Um, simply this. There are as many applications or understandings of the parable as there are major characters. 
I mean, that, that's the way that, that these are structured. They're, they're giving us a, a pretty, a pretty the, 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 the biblical authors, the authors of the gospel are giving us a pretty pointed, um, direct uh, application point contained within the major characters of the parable. So, so that, that'll, that's where we're going to focus our time on this morning then, the, the characters in the story that Jesus is telling. So let's look at everyone in play then. So we have the man that is beaten, right? He's, he's jumped by robbers and he's beaten up and he's left bloodied on, on the side of the road. And then we have a priest and Levi. I'm going to lump those two guys together because their action was the same. They did the same thing. They just kind of like went out the other side of the road and passed by this man who is in need of mercy. Um, and then the Samaritan. We have the Samaritan here as kind of the primary actor, the one who, by the lawyer's admission, demonstrates mercy. Um, so let's think about each of these characters and under the umbrella of Jesus' intent to communicate what it means to be a good neighbor as a response to the lawyer's question, and who is my neighbor? So we have the priest and the Levite. Let's start there. And, and the hearer or the reader is actually meant to identify with this, this party. Right, we're actually meant to identify with this party. And I think this is why Jesus even includes these two guys. He could have easily just said, hey, the guy got beaten up and the Samaritan came along and he picked him up and he helped him along. But he actually goes out of his way to include these two guys who pass by on the other side of the road to point out some really important things about the lawyer who was asking the question. So, but he wants to show the lawyers that these two dudes, these, this priest and this Levite, they fall into the same camp as the lawyer. They fall into the same camp as the lawyer. They're self-important, right? Asking a question that's innately self-centered, and they're they're self-centered, self-centered. Um, so, so just to give you like a geographical context, I think this will help, right? The road from Jerusalem to Jericho is is a is a really tough road. It's 17 miles long, and it goes downhill like 3,000 feet. And it winds in and out, and there's caves, and there's rocks, and there's a bunch of different, a bunch of different uh, places for robbers to hide, to jump out. This is a risky, risky journey that this guy is taking. It is incredibly risky. Um, and so when we think about the priest and the Levite, and we think about their self-centered, self-important behavior, we think to themselves, oh, um, look at that guy over there, he got beaten up. Um, I'm not going to find myself in the same position, so I'm going to keep going. I need to get from A to B as quickly as, as possible. And so that's probably where their mindset is, which totally makes sense to, to the lawyer, to the hearers of this parable, that these guys would just pass by. And, and some of the hearers might have been in themselves, yeah, that's what I would do too, because I, I wouldn't want to get beaten up like that guy either. Um, so, but ultimately, Jesus doesn't say why they didn't stop, but, but it doesn't really matter. Um, they have an opportunity. This is, this is what the question that this parable is answering is, what does it mean to be a good neighbor, right? And, and ultimately, what, what he's saying is, that, um, is that, uh, that these guys had an opportunity to show compassion, to demonstrate mercy, um, despite no obligation to them, and they didn't. Um, they are ultimately consumed with self. So we see the priest and the Levite, then, who don't demonstrate compa compassion uh, or mercy, um, despite the fact that, uh, that they were under no obligation to do so. The second, then, the second character is just the man who's beaten. And I think that the hearer, in, or, or us, the reader, is meant to um, identify with this character a bit as well. I think that we're supposed to look at that character and think to ourselves, okay, um, what, what, what we need to see here is that we are vulnerable in need 
just like this man who was beaten. He took a risky journey and he was beaten. And he was, uh, and he was, he was left half dead on the side of the road. Um, again, Jerusalem to Jericho, this would have been a common journey. And this, this really could happen to anyone. This could happen to anyone. Anyone who was, who was making this journey, this is, this is a reality for them. And then the final character here is the Samaritan, right? Um, and this is the example um, of what it means to demonstrate mercy and to love neighbor. And I think it will become abundantly clear that the mercy that is shown by the Samaritan is meant to, uh, to signify, right? To, meant to signify the mercy that Jesus shows uh, to us. And, th- and so then, as we look at this parable, when we see the Good Samaritan demonstrating mercy, uh, taking and removing self from the equation and saying, this is a risky thing for me to, to lend this guy help, to show this guy compassion, to show him mercy. This is a risky, risky thing uh, for me to do. I'm going to set aside my best interest at this moment because this man needs that. I think it will become abundantly clear to us that, that that is a picture of Jesus and his work on the cross on our behalf. So Jesus is telling this story to show that three things. He's, he's, he's telling this story to show us three things related to mercy. One, that we need mercy. Just like the man who was robbed, who is left half dead, we as people are in need, desperate need of mercy. Um, second, in Jesus, we have been shown mercy, right? Um, where uh, Luke writes uh, that Jesus said um, that he was shown compassion and, and that the Samaritan bandaged up the wounds. He poured oil and wine on them and he put him on his own beast and took him to an inn and he paid it for him to stay there. And he said, hey, I'll come back and take care of whatever else he needs later. He followed up with this, this situation. So first, we need mercy. Second, in Jesus, we have been shown mercy. And three, in response, we need to show mercy. This is Jesus' admonition to the lawyer in verse 37, that he said to him, go and do the same. So we have this biblical understanding, this biblical painting of, of what it means to demonstrate mercy from one to the other, and ultimately then to love neighbor. So the second thing that we want to talk about is just the inclusion piece. If you were with us last week, if you heard what we talked about last week, we talked about the fact that the lawyer, when he asked that second question, he was probably thinking along the lines of, well, who is my neighbor? Because if my neighbor is a fellow Jew, a fellow countryman, an individual who I can um, identify with closely, then I'm good. I've done it. I've loved my neighbor. Um, But Jesus, again, is blowing up his worldview. He's showing him that that's not what this is about. He's saying, no more is this about just loving someone who's like you, but loving everyone um, without uh, exclusion. And this is a really important part of this parable. Um, Let me read you this quote. Uh, It's from a man named, I hope I pronounced this right, Thabiti uh, Anabwile, this is his name. That's a hard name to pronounce. I think I got it. Um, he writes this, and this is directly out of his understanding of this parable. Common ethnicity is no predictor of neighborliness. If the robbed man were an Israelite, then being a fellow, then being fellow Jews did not make the priest and Levite his neighbor. It did not make him his neighbor. They passed by. It is despised, outcast Samaritan that proved to be the true neighbor. It's someone who was thought to be unclean and cut off that emerges as truly loving. 
I think the parable demonstrates that neighbors are not determined by ethnicity. In fact, these two men were strangers to one another. And the Samaritan crosses the gulf to care for the stranger in his midst. And Jesus expands the definition of neighbor well beyond family, friends, co-workers, ethnicity, and those who live in physical proximity to us. And this is, again, this is a significant purpose of this parable. It's significant to see that Jesus is saying, no longer is this an exclusive command, but it is an all-inclusive, all-encompassing command. Um, the main character, Jesus, Jesus didn't just make somebody up for this, I mean, he made him up because it's a story, but he didn't, he, he chose a Samaritan very pointedly. He chose a Samaritan very pointedly because Samaritans, in a Jew's mind, um, would be, just like the quote said, unclean or cut off. In fact, Jews thought this about Samaritans. Get this. Jews thought that Samaritans were created to fuel the fires of hell. That was their actual position on Samaritans. They were created, they, they thought in their mind that this people group was created for the sole purpose of fueling the fires of hell. And so there was some significant racism going on here between, the, between Jews and Samaritans. But this is not a biblical understanding of humanity. This is not a biblical understanding of mercy or neighborliness. Rather, um, it is a construct by a, a, a particular people in a particular time. Jesus is showing now that the call of the gospel is all for all people, not just for the Jew. Paul will write later in Romans 1 that from the Jew first and also to the Greek that salvation is extended to all types of men. The lawyer probably... The, I think if, I, if I'm honest with myself and I put myself in the lawyer's position, I would have thought that Jesus is crazy in this moment. I would have legitimately thought that this guy is out of his mind. I would have thought that. And, and even, I think you can even maybe see a little bit of that even in his response. He says, the one who shows mercy. He didn't say the Samaritan. He said, the one who shows mercy. He, he, he goes out of his way to actually like say what the guy did and describe him, but not actually use the word Samaritan. He would be acknowledging, if he did, that a Samaritan of all people could keep the law. Like Jesus was, Jesus, was, Jesus was suggesting that this guy was fulfilling part of the law, the part of the law that, that is contained within verse 27, to love your neighbor directly out of Leviticus 19. Jesus, his example is a Samaritan who keeps this and is a neighbor who demonstrates mercy. And if he acknowledged that, that would shake his worldview to the core even more than Jesus already has. So this gets back to the lawyer's posture of exclusivity that prevents um, loving neighbor. So we see the, the direct contrast to that in the Samaritan. So that brings us, that, that brings us to a point where we just want to think about takeaways. We want to think about this text. We want to think about the ways that, uh, that this text sort of impacts us in our daily life. And I think, I hope that, as we've been talking about this, that there, there are a few things that are readily available. We're just going to talk about a few different things. I, I, this week, I, I don't know if you're familiar with like Greek mythology at all, but I thought of the, the, the myth of <coughs> Pygmalion. Is anyone familiar with Pygmalion? Okay, that's fine. It's like, you are? Okay, good. So Pygmalion, like... Um, 
Pygmalion carved this statue, right? He was a, he was a guy, and he had this encounter with the gods, and, and, and he couldn't really find anything beautiful anymore. And he had this encounter with the gods, and so he carves this statue, and, and he looks at it, and he's like, that is the fairest thing that I've ever seen. I, I don't know. That's not what we use. That's the most beautiful thing that I've ever seen. And so I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking to myself, that's what, and he falls in love with the statue. He falls in love with the statue. Um, and so when I'm reading this text, I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to, like, I'm, I want to go to 30,000 feet, and I want to think about this, because just like Pygmalion sort of created this sculpture, this thing that wasn't living or breathing or real, um, he, he creates that, and he, he thinks to himself, that, that's exactly, that's beautiful, that's, that's what I love. And I think that's, that, that's kind of what we do, especially, or maybe just in relation to what the lawyer is, is doing here, and kind of how we fit into this model, how we fit into the lawyer, and how we fit into the priest and the Levite. I think that's the way, track with me here, because when, when, when we think about this in particular, and when we think about the Bible as a whole, when we think about God, we sometimes create and begin to construct an image of who God is that's not accurately portrayed, an accurate portrayal of what Scripture tells us. And the way that we think we should, uh, uh, the, the way that the way that we our our idea of God and our accordance to the made-up version of what we do, we okay. So so we think to ourselves. God is this way when the Bible is clearly telling us that God is something different. And I think that's the posture, the place that the lawyer found himself in. He didn't see the universal call of the gospel. He didn't see a Samaritan as being capable of loving uh, his neighbor. And this is why I think reading our Bibles is so important. It's not just a, a willy-nilly flipping through of, of Scripture and just like picking a text daily and just reading it. And it's really important to dive in, to sit down and to study God's Word so that we can have a correct view of who God is. Because only in light of a correct view of who God is will we find a correct view of ourselves. That is the truth. We find ourselves sort of making decisions uh, to pass by these bloodied and beaten people, just like the priest and the Levite in our world, we 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 sort of we 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 make these uh, we take our our thoughts and we just say, you know what? I got a lot going on right now. Um, that person probably their bad decisions got them there. They probably they probably weren't thinking when they made that decision, and so we're just going to leave them there to to get themselves out of that. But that's a, that, that stems from an incorrect view of who God is. Not just what he requires, but an incorrect view of who God is. God is an inclusive God who is extending salvation to all people. Not just people who look like us. Not just people who drive the same car as us. We have a lot of Toyota Siennas here. Not a lot of, not a lot of people who, who act uh, similarly or have, like we talked about last week, similar political views or, or places or that they frequent to shop or, or whatever it might be. Saying the, the call of the gospel is breaks down racial, socioeconomic barriers. So that, that brings us then to three thoughts. Just three thoughts, and these will be our takeaways for today. Um, Love for neighbor, this is the first one. Love for neighbor recognizes 
everyone's humanity as those who are created in God's image. Love for neighbor recognizes everyone's humanity as those who are created in God's image. Um, Rebecca and I had an opportunity to, to do some, some missions work to help um, sort of like, it was like a week-long thing, but to help sort of help uh, uh, spur on a church that was being planted or had been planted recently in New York City. Um, and the pastor who was there at the time um, is no longer there, but the pastor who, uh, who took over for him, he was looking at this text in particular and wrote this. And this is maybe a little bit painted by his, his understanding or the context in which he was ministering in New York City, which is which some of these issues are probably a little more prevalent. But he writes this, Dehumanization, the active refusal to recognize the image of God in others, is the heart of every form of exploitation. Although it's especially obvious in the commercial sex and labor trade, where the individual is seen merely as a commodity to be bought and sold, we, should, we show that the seeds of dehumanization live in our own hearts every time we ignore the image of God in our neighbors. So what he's saying is when we actively refuse to act and demonstrate mercy to those that we see are hurting in our world because of their racial, socioeconomic, whatever barrier that might be, um, everybody's makeup is different, but we dehumanize the active and actively ignore God's image placed on the individual when we, when we refuse to demonstrate mercy. And so think about this. Think, think about this. Let's, let's take that and put it like where we're at in, in Jamestown in 2016. Um, Think about just this body. Let's think about this body to start with, and then we'll get bigger. Um, um, just as part of BCC, part of Buffalo City Church, what about as oh, this? Just just think about this context. The people who are on your right and your left. Let me ask you this question: If you viewed the people of BCC as created in God's image, with whom you share a common identity in Jesus, wouldn't you think twice about talking behind their back? And there, there is nothing that I'm more serious about than this. There's literally nothing that I'm more serious about than this. Next time we have a thought about someone in this congregation that's less than positive, think about that God has placed his image on that individual. God has placed his image on that individual. And if that thought doesn't deter you from speaking that thought, or for chasing that rabbit, then we need to sit down and start talking about who God is. Because we have a small, lazy, unbiblical view of who God is if we're willing to chase that rabbit in our mind. This just points, it points so dramatically to our self consumption. This sin-saturated world we live in has people broken, beat up, bloodied, bruised, and yet we look at them and say, well, I wouldn't have done that that way. I, would, I wouldn't think like that. And while our brothers and sisters are suffering and bleeding out on the side of the road because of abusive relationships, because of addiction, because of the garbage job they find themselves in, because of the way that they, um, because of the, 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 just the, the, the sheer situations that they find themselves in on a daily basis. We actively ignore them, make excuses, and pass by on the other side of the proverbial road because we can only think about ourselves. 
And nowhere in this parable does Jesus say to show someone mercy based on your evaluation of their life decisions. Okay, so that's within this context of this body. What about on the outside of this body? Just like where we find ourselves in like work or, or, or play, wherever we're working, playing throughout the course of the day. If you viewed all people as created in God's image, wouldn't you seek the good of others just as actively as you seek your own? This applies internally, but also externally. If you viewed people as created in God's image, wouldn't you cry with those who are crying? Wouldn't you mourn with those who are mourning? Wouldn't you be a little bit uh, a little bit more inclined to ask a question uh, that dives a little deeper than just, hey, what's up? How is it going? So this takes us to the second of our three takeaways then. The first one being, love for neighbor recognizes everyone's <coughs> humanity as those created in God's image. And we already kind of talked about this, so, so we'll go through this one. Love for neighbor acts. It doesn't just feel. Look in, in uh, verse 33 and then 34. But a Samaritan who was on the journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt. He felt compassion. And then we see in verse 34 and 35 the action that he took. Love for neighbor acts. It doesn't just feel. And the Samaritan felt compassion and acted, despite those risks that we talked about, that road from Jerusalem to Jericho, that was not an easy road. But the question then coming out of this is, what price is too big to pay to show mercy as an outflow of the mercy that God has shown you in Jesus Christ? What price is too big to pay to show mercy as an outflow of the mercy that God has shown you in Jesus? What price is too big? Is it people's perception of you? Is it your, your perception of yourself, maybe? I challenge you to think about that this week. What price is too big to pay to show mercy as an outflow of the mercy that God has shown you in Jesus? The fact of the matter is that it's all costly. So I think we need to start thinking about this regularly as a body. We need to start thinking about this if there is a price that in our mind there is a threshold that we will not cross to demonstrate mercy as a response to the mercy that's been shown to us in Jesus Christ. Jesus said this in Matthew 16, 24 through 26. He said this, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. For whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is, this is important right here. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Are we going to choose comfort, uh, our own comfort and well-being, or are we going to take a risk and follow Jesus? A risk that inevitably leads to death, to self. The commands are clear in this Matthew passage. Take up your cross. Take up, the, take up the instrument that will kill you. That will kill you. Maybe not a physical death, but a death to self. Take up the cross that will inevitably kill you. Put to death following your own agenda. 
that unquestionably leads to ultimate death, Jesus says, uh, for what will profit man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul and follow Jesus. It will slowly strip you out of the equation, but it leads to everlasting joy in the presence of God. Okay. So love for neighbor acts. It doesn't just feel and then finally this morning. Love for neighbor recognizes the mercy that has been shown in Jesus and seeks to do the same. The same, the same author that I just read from Wally Sadler writes this. The gospel reminds us that Christ's love, Christ loved us when we had no capacity or desire to love him back. This transformational love sets us free from the shackles of comfort and self-protection to care for our neighbors. And just like the man who was beaten, maybe you're feeling beaten this morning. Like, literally, maybe you feel beat up this morning. Your world may be falling apart. And, and just please, if we're, if we're called to show mercy to one another as we have been shown mercy, then, then we need to be acting together as those who are together in community who can share those things with one another. And just like we're called to follow Jesus into this merciful action, maybe you're the one that needs your wounds bandaged. Like again, we are meant to identify with the individual who was beaten and left bloodied on the side of the road. And we need to, as a people collectively agree to identify the hurting among us in this body, the hurting among us that we come to week in and week out at our jobs, where we play, wherever it might be, and act mercifully. We also need to be vulnerable enough and set aside our own pride. And through the means of the church, be cared for. The fact of the matter is that outside of Christ, we are vulnerable and needy. We are people who are vulnerable and needy outside of Christ. In fact, our own state is even more serious than the man that was beaten on the side of the road. But Luke writes in, in verse 32, uh, or I'm sorry, in verse, uh, in verse 30, that the man was left half dead. But Paul in Ephesians 2 tells us that our spiritual state is far more dire. He says that we are dead in our transgressions and sins. We're half dead. We are dead in our transgressions and our sins. And in that moment, we need to recognize that Jesus didn't just risk his life. He didn't risk his life, but he freely gave it up. He freely gave up his life to transfer us from this place that Paul writes about in Ephesians, from that spiritual death to life in a, in a and an eternity spent in the presence of God the Father. So again, those three takeaways, I really want you to think about these as we go from here this week, whether it be in your community group or, or just in time spent uh, individually in God's Word this week. Coming out of this text, thinking about the Samaritan, thinking about the mercy that he showed to, to the man who was beaten on the side of the road. Love for neighbor recognizes everyone's humanity as those created in God's image. Love for neighbor acts. It doesn't just feel. And then finally, love for neighbor recognizes the mercy that has been shown in Jesus and seeks, in a response to what he's done, seeks to do the same. Let's pray.